Still Becoming One podcast. We are Brad and Kate. In our more than 20 years of marriage, we've survived both dark times and experienced restoration. Now, as a licensed marriage counselor and relationship coaches, we help couples to regain hope and joy. We invite you to journey with us as we are still becoming one. Let's start the conversation. Welcome, everybody, to Still Becoming One. We are so glad that you tuned in today. We are talking about something that, that honestly, Kate and I have been talking about quite a lot, of this idea of what makes you the best spouse possible. So we meet with a lot of couples, and I think it's something everybody wants to know. And I think as we've grown in our own marriage, grown in our marriage ministry, grown in our coaching, it's actually a lot more simple than people realize. Sure. It's, it's not easy to do, but it's a lot more simple than people realize. So once in a while, we get the opportunity to do premarital mm-hmm. coaching, and we love working with couples at that stage because, well... It's fun. They they get to explore each other. They get to understand each other. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions that they often ask is, how do I be the best husband or the best wife that I can be? What does that look like? And just starting to think through that lens of how do we be our best? What yeah. does that look like? And we love it when they ask that. And if they don't, we find a way to make sure... <laughs> To talk about it. To talk about it, right. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, is how do you become the best spouse, the one that you've wanted to be, the one that your spouse wants you to be? Yeah, good. So we want to dive into this great topic, hopefully have a lot of fun here, because there's a lot of different things that we can do. And, And one of the starts that we say is every couple, well probably most couples, somewhere in their wedding day or or whatnot, often read 1 Corinthians 13, the mm-hmm. love chapter, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we learn that love is patient and love is kind and love does not boast and all of these wonderful ideas of what love is. I think it's funny that we read it because we all stand there and we're like, yes, yes, that's love, that's love. And it's actually like a reminder of what love should be and what we can't actually do. Right. What we can't Jesus. do without Jesus. Because it is really a, a marker of how Jesus loves us. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, we do strive, mm-hmm. <laughs> work towards loving our spouse that way, but we fall short all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think probably by the first week of your marriage, there's already something on that list. Of course. You, right. You haven't. Right done well. Right. Just I because mean, we're human and yeah. I've yet to discover the erase button when God says, you know, love keeps no record of wrongs. Like, right. you know, I, I think we all naturally keep that record. We just have to work and strive to not have mm-hmm. that. Right. So, mm-hmm. so one of the first things that we say is actually understanding how Jesus loves us is one of the ways that we can best love our spouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. And as we discover how how Jesus loves us, how we feel love and grace from God, there is a place where we can give love and grace so much more freely to yeah. our spouse. I think that 
The topic of how Jesus loves us, though, is a sticky one because there's just varying thoughts on what is loving. And so that can deeply impact how people come at it in their marriage, whether they think Jesus does a lot of correction as part of his love or a lot of grace. And I think that's just getting to know him in the Gospels. Um, But I think we can certainly see it the way we want to see it based on those two things. And that's going to bring us to a really another important topic of how do we become our best self? Because often how we view God Mm -hmm. relates to how we understood and received love from our earthly father. And families. And families. We yeah. have to we have to be really intentional There's, to see God as different than our caregivers. Than our I caregivers. would say not necessarily yeah. dad, but yes. Definitely you're going to assign things to the way God loves us based on how you were loved. And it's gonna impact it deeply. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in that, one of the ways that we talk often about how do we become the best spouse that we can be is really by understanding our story mm-hmm. and understanding what things we're bringing with us mm-hmm. into the marriage. Yeah. I, I think people being able to look back on their story and yes, we mean mainly like your teenage years and your childhood years, being able to look back on it, being able to process some of it and when you see something happening in your adult life that you're like, oh, I always do that, or that's right. really a struggle for me. One of the biggest things that will impact your marriage is being self-aware, mm-hmm. or if someone makes you aware, which is difficult, I completely get. After the initial shock of hearing it, being able to say, okay, what is this about myself? Like, where does this come from? Not in a self-condemning way, but in a curious way of what can I learn about myself from this? Where does this come from in my story? And then being motivated to trying to figure it out. And if you struggle on your own, it's reaching out to other people who could help you assist in figuring it out. When a spouse, when spouses are willing to do that in and of themselves and share that process with their spouse, that is when we see spouses and marriages take off. Right. Now, before we even go further in this, I'm sure a lot of our listeners right now are sitting here thinking, yes, that makes sense if you had trauma or bad parents or something like that. But you know what? I was raised in this good Christian home. For the most part, my my house, my family, was mm-hmm. my childhood was pretty good. So why do I need to know my story? Well, actually, um, you, Brad and I recently were at a Need to Breathe concert. It was probably my favorite band uh, currently. And the lead singer said the, the, he grew up, his dad was a pastor and he said, I grew up in a pretty idyllic home. He said, but still there was enough to go to counseling for. And I thought that was such a great way of saying it. You can grow up in a really great home, but you have a different personality from your parents. Parents cannot physically or emotionally, or mentally, meet every need of their child. Right. So there are going to be times parents miss things. Like, we all know that, right? It's not easy, but that is the reality. Even if you have fantastic parents, 
there's going to be things. And it's not always our parents. Sometimes stuff comes from your childhood from other family members or friends or school environments or church environments. So like all of us have those types of things that have hurt us. Mm -hmm. And when we are hurt, we start to process the world a little differently. We start to like figure out, okay, that hurt me. So how do I take care of myself and protect myself from that kind of thing? And in that is born a lot of trial and error of stuff that isn't necessarily great for us. Sure. Absolutely. And look, a lot of these things, these, these hurts go into us as almost they become expectations of what's going to happen in the future. And we don't even really recognize their expectations until they go unmet or unrecognized or, you know, all of those kind of things. And then all of a sudden, when somebody didn't respond the way that we we expected them to or isn't loving us the way that we want Mm -hmm. them to, all of a sudden we're feeling a lot of hurt and betrayal and trauma that may not actually match the exact situation. It kind of gets dug up. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at the world that way and we can understand it that way, it's not about trying to prove that everybody's had horrible parents. Right. It's trying to understand that everybody has had parents who miss things. Yeah. Because we we are humans and only in the Garden of Eden were things perfect. Things right. are not perfect, no matter how wonderful your parents are. So I'm going to ask the question that literally I think all of our coaching clients ask at some time, why do I have to talk about this trauma? Like what good does it do to dig up these things that mm. happened, you know, 30 years ago? Why? It's a great question. And I do think a lot of people answer that or ask that. I, th- I think, I guess my answer to that would be, well, How is it currently working for you not digging it up, (laughs) right? You're frustrated with yourself. You see things that you're not sure why you do certain things or why do I always, why does that situation always make me angry? Why can't I get over it? Why, you know, I always talk about it like you find, you see your patterns in yourself that you're just like, oh my word, why can't I change that? You try behavior modification for a time and you realize that only works for a time. I think it's worth digging into those things because we can figure out why we do what we do. And that actually just that process of figuring out why we started doing that thing gives us a huge sense of freedom. Right. Because most times we sit there and we're like, I just don't understand why I do this. Yeah, absolutely. And it it goes in very quickly as this, uh, you know, automatic, like this is what's going to happen. This is now how I act. So you may find yourself getting angry really quickly. You may find yourself um, turning towards disassociation really quickly or like checking out when so, you don't yeah, want tell to. Tell us, like, some people might say, I've heard that word. What do you mean? Disassociation. So a lot of times when heavy emotions happen, we don't Mm -hmm. actually want to process those emotions. Mm -hmm. So we go to other activities to just stop thinking and and check out. And sometimes we can just kind of feel it in our bodies. Like, you know, there's that that much stress or trauma or whatever Mm -hmm. that's happening in the moment that we just kind of physically check out. 
But I find a lot of times it's more subtle than that, that mm-hmm. it's, I'm, you know, stressed about something and I just want to stop thinking. So it's easy to, you know, flip on the video game or the, you know, uh, Facebook or, you know, mm-hmm. flip to something that's going to take my mind away from it. Mm-hmm. And, and the big difference, right, because relaxation really important. So all those things can be healthy relaxation. The difference is we've all had that experience where we've done something that may feel like we're relaxing. Mm-hmm. And then we go, wow, how did an hour and a half go by? And I mm-hmm. feel worse. Mm-hmm. I feel drained. I feel terrible. That's disassociation. So when we're truly relaxing mm-hmm. and we're choosing those activities that hour and a half should go by and we go, Oh, I'm re-energized. I feel better now. Yeah. And disassociation kind of leads us to that other experience. Mm-hmm. And that could be a hint of, wait, I'm trying to physically and m- mentally escape from some emotions that got mm-hmm. triggered. And we may mm-hmm. not even know why they got triggered. Mm-hmm. They just came up. Well, and you said something really important. I thought, oh, that was really helpful of like, we may feel it in our body, but I think most times we actually have learned not to listen to our bodies because we've been doing this from a really early age. And so our bodies may be having a response to the emotions that we don't even recognize is happening. Yeah. I know when I started doing some of this work myself, I would... I remember my counselor kind of saying, you know, check into like, how is your body feeling? And I wouldn't even realize that my stomach was in knots mm. until they said it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I do feel that kind of thing. Or, mm. I, you know, I'd feel the stress in my chest or my shoulders, shoulders. And, yeah. and, and just go, wow, I, I didn't even really realize how much I was carrying it. Well, and I know for me, entering into this work, often when that question would be asked, I'd be like, I don't know. I have no idea how my body feels. And I'd even sit there and I'd be like, well, my body feels the way it feels all the time. And it really took intentionality of being like, okay, well, are my shoulders tight? Does my stomach feel funny? Because a lot of times people's guts get involved in emotions. So, but that can look different for lots of people. But it's taken me a whole process of just kind of trying to be in my body to discover what my body is actually feeling. Sure. And when I say that, I don't mean you're leaving your body. It's just being aware of what's right. happening. In no, your body. just checking in. Cause we don't, mm-hmm. we don't really pay attention to it. Right. Yeah. And, and for all of you who are like, Oh, that doesn't sound very spiritual. No. Uh, if you go to the 23rd Psalm, when God says, I'm going to lead you into green pastures, I'm going to lay you down by still waters. There is a part of healthy, beautiful rest mm-hmm. that God is asking us to do. Mm-hmm. That is just saying, I need to take care of you. I need you need to take care of your body. That is a beautiful, powerful thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. all this just to to really emphasize our point here is what makes us the healthiest spouse is knowing our stuff, mm-hmm. knowing what we're bringing that is a challenge. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, because I would say even even. Even if I think I knew all of these principles that we didn't when we were first married, you're still not going to know it all. Right. You're, like It's understanding that it is a lifelong process. Story work doesn't end until 
our time here on earth is done. So That's true. I'm committing with you that when things come up that I'm willing to try to figure Engage it out. Engage those stories. Right. And I think... I think that's, you know, if you're young and married and hope to have kids and that hasn't happened, things are going to change when you do. Your children are going to bring up new things in you that maybe your spouse doesn't. All kinds of things, new jobs, yeah. new anything. Um, we are slowly in the next four years entering the empty nest stage. It's kind of exciting to say that, actually. We love our children, but I'm a little bit excited for empty nest. But the reality is, even though I'm excited for it, who knows what it will sure. bring up for Different each things. of us. Yeah. And it's being curious for when sure. something comes up about where does that come from? Right. Is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? Do I need, you know, yeah, just being curious. And when something does need processed, being open and willing to do it. Yeah. And, and literally, Kate and I both run groups sometimes where uh, we help process these stories, and we always hear the same comment from pretty much everyone who goes into our groups of saying, yeah, but my stuff, my story's not a big deal, until we my kind parents of really twist parents. them you know, and, and force them to tell that story. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you see the faces of everyone else and going, wow, I can't believe you... You live through that. And it may have been mm-hmm. minor. It may have been what you think is minor, but those things still shape us. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest challenges, the biggest opportunities you have to be the best spouse is to tell those stories to each other. Well, and it's interesting you say that because I was thinking as well, it's really important to actually let the other spouse understand. Right. Because you may do story work at the same time. You and I have done that at times. But there will be times that you're going through something that the two of you, it's one of you saying, I gotta, f- I need to figure this out. I need right. to dive in and be curious. And how can the other spouse come alongside in a way that is helpful, that is non-judgmental, that is curious as well and empathetic? Well, and I'll tell you a great hint for that idea of curiosity, especially if your spouse isn't necessarily on this journey yet. Um, This is one from Dan Allender. He talks about that sometimes we can go back to the stories that maybe our in-laws have made a joke about Mm. Mm -hmm. your your spouse's childhood. Mm. What what are the funny stories that they tell? Mm -hmm. And often embedded in those funny stories is another story of hurt mm-hmm. and somebody who's unseen mm-hmm. and somebody who didn't feel really good about that funny story and mm-hmm. have been told that they need to laugh at it, laugh it off. Yeah. And, and once we heard that, well, both Kate and I heard that, we kind of both went back to some of our family's funny stories and went, yeah, there's yeah. some messed up stuff there. Well, there's some hurts there. Right. Like, and it's not, we're not trying to prove your families are dysfunctional and weird, although aren't all families would be my question. Sure. But we're not trying to like, we're trying to honor your family at the same time we are trying to recognize hurts that have happened. Because when we don't recognize hurts, we just move on. Right. We, well, we teach our body and our mind to move on from them, but we haven't really grieved or processed them. Sure. I think it's really great that you brought up the point of hearing the funny stories and trying to relate and understand them. But I think it's 
also really important as your spouse is processing something for you to hear what they're processing, Mm -hmm. being able to hear what is unique about it for them. Like what are the nuances, what come out and just be really curious and understanding because here's the reality. You're probably sometimes going to listen to your spouse and be like, this doesn't seem like a big deal right? because you didn't live it. Right. You didn't live in that family and it just seems like it's not a big deal. But the reality is we're not determining big deals versus nope. little deals. We're, what we're determining is this was a hurt that I realize I haven't really processed and it contributed to some lies I have in my head and I really just need to process it. Right, right. And, and being non-judgmental in that. Yeah, exactly. And... You know, there's a word that we've used several times here that sometimes gets misunderstood in today's culture. And and it's actually not my favorite word anymore of this word of triggers. But we've Mm. said it a couple of times, and I think it is important to understand what what we mean by that that term. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of people have used it as this thing that makes me feel weird or, you know, oh, if you do that, I'm going to get triggered. Like, you know, and that's not actually what we mean. It, it's not necessarily something that we have to avoid. Mm-hmm. It's more a action behavior or even sound, anything like that, that brings us back to a time where we did feel our bodies felt unsafe. Mm. And so all of a sudden we're dealing with emotions that aren't necessarily in the moment. So sometimes when you see some, your spouse, what you would say overreact to a situation, Mm. that's probably a hint that there, there has been a trigger that all of a sudden they're responding to something that was from a long time ago that, Mm -hmm. and they may not even be aware of it. Like their bodies start just kind of being Mm -hmm. over angry or, you know, something like over emotional. Or even like I was thinking this week, I told you some, a situation had made me rather sad. And I thought you did a beautiful job of entering in with me. um, Because, you know, for me, it's hard for me to say something like that. Sure. Because, I am not one to just put my emotions out there. So if I did, you like have learned, okay, hang on, I need to listen. And we weren't, we were actually texting. So, um, but you said, oh, that's interesting. I want to hear more about that later. Like you entered in with me, you invited me to continue the process and didn't make me feel stupid or silly for doing so. Like that's, that's what we're talking about here too of, of the reciprocal, like how can you walk alongside of your spouse when you see them processing something? Sure. It's also you being curious and empathetic and being like, okay, like that's who you are. That's, you know, we're not, we're not talking about destructive things, Yeah. but often we as spouses can be uncomfortable with our spouse's emotions because we don't quite understand where it's coming from. Right. And we're like, oh, we're, un- we're uncomfortable with our own. That feels so we're weird. Like, right. Because uh, when I said that, you could have just as easily been like, uh-huh. well, you would never have done no. that, but you would have been like, okay, thanks for letting me know. Yeah. I could have like, easily brushed it off. Right. Like, you know, so. 
And, yeah. and I think this goes into that principle that we've talked about here several times of we have to follow exactly what Jesus says is mm-hmm. look at the log in our own eyes before we try to take the speck out of our spouses. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we can do to be the best spouse possible is to really pay attention to what we're bringing to the situation. Mm-hmm. There are times in every marriage that we're going to feel unloved, even rejected. It's mm-hmm. going to happen. So how do you respond in that situation? Do you act unloved and and rejected? In which case you're probably going to be giving those same emotions to your spouse. Mm-hmm. Or do you stop and go, wait, in this moment, I want to, I want to believe the best out of my spouse and I want to pour more love into them, mm-hmm. take care of them, and see what's going on, mm-hmm. right? And that's, it is super easy. And honestly, our triggers probably bring us to a place where we're, our first response is probably going to, you know, double down on the rejection. Mm-hmm. But if we're aware of it, mm-hmm. that's where we can look in the mirror and go, wait, I, you know what? I want to do something different. Yeah. And I think entering into your story is going to give you, gives you the strength the to, do it. to do it because that's probably the other question we get too. So like once I do this work, like then it won't happen anymore. No, actually <laughs> it will still happen. These things you've been doing for right. a long time. But what I notice when they happen is I'm aware it's happening. So I notice that this is bringing up things in me that are from, from those hurts. I'm aware of them. And I can actually sort of talk myself through. Sure. Like, no, Brad did not mean to make you feel that way. Like That's exactly that right. kind of stuff. So it doesn't mean the dynamic goes away, but it means you're aware of it and you're able to deal with it in a very different way. Yeah. So really, really powerful. So our biggest advice on being the best spouse is learning your own story. Yep. Understanding how that can trigger you. Yep and taking the hard look in the mirror to go, how do I need to be giving and what are mm-hmm. the things that I need to be working on? Yes, and then on the other side, committing to being curious and kind and non-judgmental when you are on the end of watching your spouse walk through this. That's wonderful. Yeah. Really powerful, and I hope some of you will take the chance to get to know your own story. Yeah. And uh, with this journey, dive into becoming the best spouse that you can be. We will see you next time on Still Becoming One. We are so glad that you are here. Still Becoming One is a production of Aldrich Ministries. For more information about Brad and Kate's coaching ministry, courses, and speaking opportunities, you can find us at aldrichministries.com. For podcast show notes and links to resources in all of our social media, be sure to visit us at stillbecomingone.com. And don't forget to like this episode wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us to continue your journey on Still Becoming One.